Welcome to the Lord's house. I want to welcome those who are also uh, live streaming with us today. Great to have you with us. We're in our second week of a series called Consumed as we look at uh, God's values for our life and realize that those are also very, very practical. Sometimes we think that's just theological, you know, that's just a truth, and then we got to translate that. These are very, very practical, very, very down to earth. We're going to be looking today at Philippians chapter 3. You know, if you have a smart device, you can go there. If you have your Bible, you can look that up in a minute. We're going to be taking a look at Paul's life and how he had a major course correction even as an adult. And uh, it wasn't an easy course correction. Paul had a lot of success in his former life, and he realized that maybe that wasn't the path he ought to be walking, the path to the greatest blessing in his life or the greatest blessing of other lives, and, and made a change in life based on values. We're going to be talking about that today. Uh, let me just pray about that. May the words of my mouth and the thoughts of all those assembled, all those who are listening in, may my words and their thoughts reflect your values, Lord, to our own benefit, to the benefit of our witness, and to your glory. We ask it in Christ. Amen. Well, how are you doing with that challenge? You know, uh, I was here yesterday at this service and uh, was sitting over there listening to Pastor Ryan challenge us to no new discretionary spending after he had gone out the day before and had a lot of discretionary spending, you know. And uh, it's okay. Everybody has to figure out how to do this for themselves. But I think it's good to be intentional. It's good to be disciplined about it. So we're not saying that you can't spend anything, but you ought to uh, limit your discretionary spending just to make you aware of how enticing and how overpowering and how constant the, the done of commercialism is in our life and to be more in control of that and less under the influence of uh, values that are anything but godly. This past week after our Lenten services that, by the way, uh, will continue and what a great way to demonstrate value, you know, where you put your time, where you put your energy, where you put your offerings, to take a moment for these next few weeks and, and just try to be here if you can at, at 6.30 and, and just kind of square your week away, you know, on Sundays, on Wednesdays, and uh, just keep the focus on Christ during this time. After that, I went upstairs and we've been doing this mentoring project uh, with some leaders of potential. And uh, we've had them in small mentor groups, also in large gatherings, and we've done some individual assignments for them. And, and uh, it's been an interesting experimental year for us to to raise up and identify some new leadership for the congregation. And last week it was my privilege to do that and to talk to them about living an intentional life. Because I tend to believe that uh, most Americans just react to circumstance around them. We're like a ball, you know, in a pinball machine that just gets bounced around and we don't really have a focus, we don't really have a plan. And that doesn't matter whether it's financial, professional, relational, spiritual, physical, almost in every area of our life. And you will be much more satisfied if you are intentional and I think less affected by circumstance if you have such a plan. And so we were talking about that and as a way to introduce that, I thought about the things that I wish, you know, I had known earlier in life that I've come to understand now and and began with that uh, concept in mind. Uh, One was that an easier life is not a worthy life goal. You know, to achieve a time when I have ease of life. It's not a worthy life goal. I don't even think it's attainable. Not if you're doing things of significance. Have you ever heard the phrase, different level, different devil? You know? 
you achieve the next level and you think when you get there it's going to be fine and you find out that there's just different challenges and sometimes even more difficult challenges at that level and that's not the answer. Or that nothing positive gets accomplished by negativity. You know, it just seems to be common sense, but a lot of people get swept up in negativity. Nothing positive gets achieved by negativity. Or that hurting people hurt people. You know, instead of being so aggravated by people who are hurting me, I just think, you know, I should pray for them more. You know, I should have greater compassion for them. There's something wrong in their life that they're built that way. I say some people have been raised in cages and poked with sticks. You know, you should have compassion for folks like that. Uh, Never let other people's behavior dictate yours. Have you found yourself doing that, reacting to somebody's behavior, you know, by giving as good as you get or, or whatever, instead of saying, you know, how would God have me act? You know, that your values and your behavior would not be determined by somebody else's behavior towards you. Or that failure is one of life's greatest teachers. I used to hate failure. And now I realize that, you know, failure is just another way in which I can learn and which God teaches me. I think the uh, greatest disappointment would be if you didn't try anything that was worthy of failure. Or that being different is just honest. We try so hard to conform in life. Why do you try so hard to conform when God has made you special, you know, made you to stand out? And you have to get kind of comfortable with who you are, don't you? That's a lifelong lesson. That's a lifelong discovery uh, for us. But to just kind of be okay with who you are and and how all the different circumstances of life and uh, your relationship to God has formed you for this moment. Or here's a big one. Higher education guarantees you nothing except the opportunity to learn. You know, I find this especially with young people when they're joining our staff. You do too, probably. You know, they think they come knowing all the answers when, in fact, they just come knowing all the questions. You know, it's about to, uh, school's about to commence. Or there's no shame in being poor. You know, sometimes I see people try to uh, posture themselves or pretend that they have more than they really do. And there's no need to do that. You know, people who have more than you respect you if you live within your means. They don't look down on you at all. Uh, not people who are worth your respect. And uh, just be at peace with that. And see that as a challenge and as a joy uh, to do that, to live within your means. Or giving is the key to a rich life. Well, I wish I had known that earlier. I see some people who never get that. Uh, they think somebody's always trying to take from them. But in fact, being generous is uh, very inexpensive to do. And it changes you uh, even more than it changes other circumstances. Or people can't make you feel anything without your permission. Eleanor Roosevelt said that years ago, and I think there's a lot of truth in that. I shared that with some friends last night, and one of the friends said, well, that makes me feel bad. (laughs) Case in point, you know. (laughs) Don't feel bad. You know, just think about, you know, who you are and what your values are, uh, not what my values are. But truth doesn't always make sense. Common sense is not very common. God's ways are not our ways. So it should not surprise us that we are in this struggle. As spiritual people, we have all these other values coming at us that are in conflict with God's values. And, you know, we hear both of them. We certainly, uh, you know, care about God. We read his word. Uh, We may listen to Joy FM. We may listen to the blog. We may have Edify. You know, all these different things that we do in our life. We're in worship. and, And we hear these values. And then we have to go to work in the world who doesn't honor those values. God's ways are different than ours. I think just start with that, to just know that's true, and and to accept that. Well, these will never probably line up. Here's what Isaiah said, speaking for the Lord through inspiration. My thoughts are not your thoughts, declares the Lord. 
Neither are my ways your ways. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts greater than your thoughts. Seems so obvious, but it's uh, something that we need to get our head around and just realize that when we follow God's ways, these are going to be confusing to us and also confusing to other people. And yet they shouldn't be. I mean, why would we be surprised? Uh, Haven't you ever been disappointed by conventional wisdom? I mean, conventional wisdom sometimes turns on itself. Here's some examples in uh, some posters that uh, we came across last week in the men's group that I attend. Uh, This first one's on achievement. There it is. Achievement. You can do anything you set your mind to when you have the vision, determination, and an endless supply of expendable labor. You know, you you can't always accomplish everything. You know, there are limits to what you can accomplish. But, you know, we tend to uh, want to believe that we can achieve everything and anything. Not necessarily. Maybe it's not God's will for you. Maybe you lack uh, certain uh, means to accomplish those ends. Maybe those are the wrong goals for you. How about this one? Ambition. Showing a grizzly, you know, catching a salmon. Uh, The journey of a thousand miles sometimes ends very, very badly. You know? Isn't always a positive ending to your uh, goals in mind. Or legacy. Beautiful picture of the Grand Canyon. It took millions of years to create something so extraordinary. On average, you have about 74. Yeah, so get started. Meetings. None of us is as dumb as all of us. You know, (laughs) meetings aren't the answer to every issue in life. I mean, you probably realize that pretty soon. I remember when I used to work for the national headquarters of our denomination, I said, I could either sit in all of these meetings or I could be back at my desk getting this stuff done that I'm supposed to be reporting on. You guys choose. I don't care, you know, but I can't do both. Mistakes. It could be that the purpose of your life is only to serve as a warning to others. Wow, that's an awesome thought. Well, let's take a look at Paul in this transition that this guy who was on the highway to success whose name was known by his peers, by his friends and enemies alike, whose name was known even in different countries in a day and age when they didn't have the communication that we have today. I mean, this guy had the hot ticket for success. He was the up-and-coming guy of his era who was uh, knocked off of his horse as he was riding to Damascus to arrest some Christians. You know, Paul was a a strong Jewish leader who wanted to stomp out this Christianity thing. I mean, this leader, Jesus, this guy had already been crucified. Now we just need to catch his leaders, put them in chains, put them to death, and get back to pure Judaism. You know, just misunderstanding that this was the moment that all Jewish history was meant for, the fulfillment of their Messiah. You know, not understanding that, not grasping that, you know, he was uh, fighting against God, and, and uh, he was knocked off of his horse, and, and uh, he heard this voice out of heaven say, Paul, Paul, or Saul, he called him, Old, Old Testament name, Hebrew name, before he changed his name. He said, why do you persecute me? And he said, who am I persecuting? He said, the Lord of hosts, you are persecuting me. And he had uh, come to grips with that. He had to wait a few days before uh, a faithful Christian man was sent to teach him how the Old Testament was fulfilled in the purpose and person of Jesus Christ. Now this is uh, much later, as Paul is now a Christian leader, and he's teaching other people. But he refers back to those days when he was on that, you know, quick ladder towards success. Philippians chapter 3, I'm beginning at verse 4. 
Although I myself have confidence in the flesh, if anyone has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I do far more. In other words, if anyone has bragging rights, I do. You know, he could break his arm by patting himself on the back. You know, he says, no one's done all the things that I have done as well as I have done them in my former life. Circumcised on the eighth day, exactly the way the Old Testament required it to be done. You know, my folks, even before I was born, were committed to being obedient to Jewish codes. He says, of the nation of Israel, I was from the tribe of Benjamin. You know, one of the southern tribes. You know, not one of those northern tribes that wandered off into uh, apostasy. You know, who were unfaithful and worshipped false gods. No, I was, I was of Judah and Benjamin. You know, I was of the right stuff, born into the right tribe. A Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, let's just say I didn't just keep the law. I taught the law. I was a Pharisee. I mean, people came to me to better understand the law. That's how well I knew the law. As to zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. No one was more zealous. I mean, I left my home. I went to strange places to arrest people who were bent on destroying my church and my faith. No one's more zealous than that. I didn't care about myself. I was so committed to what was right. As to the law, you know, doing what I was supposed to do as a Jewish man, no one could find anything wrong with my behavior. I was found blameless. He said, you know, I, I had it all together. I was the poster boy for what it means to be a, a Jewish man. And then he says, but things changed for me. Verse 7. Whatever I considered as gain, these things I now count as a loss for the sake of knowing Christ. You know, I have found a greater treasure than all of my own accomplishments. Moreover, I count all things to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. Now I'm despised and hated by the people I once, you know, was driven to impress. You know, and to know and to be known by. He says, I've given it all up. I don't care. I count them but rubbish in order that I might stand in my Christian faith. That I might be found not having a righteousness that I achieve by doing what's right and avoiding what's wrong. But that righteousness or perfection that comes to me by faith in Jesus Christ. The righteousness that is a gift to me from God on the basis of faith. And to know him. I mean, clarity in my life. Who doesn't want clarity in life? To know him just makes, you know, before I was struggling, I was fighting. I was, every day was a, a difficult thing. But to know him, I have peace. And the power of his resurrection, the certainty of, of eternal life, where I'm headed. And even the fellowship of his suffering, knowing that, you know, that also endorses me and affirms that I'm on the right path being hated by the world. Even if I need to be conformed to his death, even if I need to suffer martyrdom, which he did, in order that I attain to the resurrection from the dead. Well, let me just derive uh, some teachings from this and, and break it down for you. First, before you start your climb, you should be sure of your path. You know, Paul had started a climb towards success in his world, but he came to find out that those things and what he was striving so hard was not the correct you know that uh, years ago I, I uh, suffered um, uh, adult onset mononucleosis. You know, 
usually you get that when you're kids. Uh, I got that as an adult, and my doctors ran me through all kinds of tests and, and um, uh, you know, MRIs, blood work. I mean, they were confused, took a long time, and they finally determined that's what I had. And uh, I remember my doctor, when we finally sat down for the consultation, he said uh, what I had, and he said, now you can do two things. He said, you can ignore this and go on with the pace of life that you're living and be sick for two years, or, or you can work half time and go home every day and take a nap and be sick for six months. You decide. Yeah. Okay, I'll choose six months. You know, that was really hard for me to go home and, and choose, you know, to take a nap every day. I'm not built that way. And I remember uh, up until that day, my oldest son, who had become an avid outdoorsman and uh, had shared many a hunt with me and, and many an excursion in canoes and, you know, just enjoying that kind of life, uh, had been after me to go elk hunting and mule deer hunting in the mountains of Colorado. He was living in Texas at the time. I was living in Missouri. Neither one of us had ever lived in Colorado. Uh, but he wanted to do this. And all of a sudden, when I'm taking a nap one day, I said, you know, Josh, if we're ever going to do this, we probably ought to get to busy with doing this because I just realized I'm probably not immortal, you know. You know, I, I have uh, physical limitations. And every year we wait, it's probably becoming more unlikely that we will do this and we'll just live with regret. And, and so we began almost a year and a half or two-year planning to do that. And uh, he started networking. I started networking. We started reading books, and we bought maps, and we did Google Earth. And we finally chose the ideal place that we would go. And I remember, uh, you know, I, I drove out there, and I picked him up at the Denver airport. So I drove almost to Denver. He was coming in about mid-morning, 10 o'clock or so, uh, into Denver with his gear. I picked him up at the airport, and then we drove two hours uh, west of um, Denver, uh, up towards Steamboat Springs, to this place that we had decided to hunt, uh, based on all the information that we had gathered. We had trail maps. We had it all. And, and uh, so we didn't get there till midday. In fact, it was, you know, early afternoon that we got there, and we thought, well, you know, we'll unpack our truck, we'll get our gear out, and we'll begin our hike up to uh, the top of King Mountain. And we knew that we wouldn't be able to get there in one day, but we just set up camp on the way. And so that's what we did. We, we walked for a, a few hours, and and uh, then the next day we got up, it was raining, of course, whenever you're trying to make, you know, uh, move out in the wilderness. And it was cold. It was late October, early November. And uh, we, we kept walking and we got to the, to the base of the really steep part. And we said, we cannot get up this way. This is not, this is not, unless you have a pick, an axe, and a rope, you're not going to go up this face. And not with this gear anyway. And, and so we had spent already a day and a half and we just had to say, this is the wrong path. And although we hated to do it, you know, we could see our truck from where we were, you know, two miles back that way or four. And, and so we had to go back. It was now the end of the day. You know, we had to go around to the other side of the mountain. And uh, we found a logging trail. We asked some local people. And we started our walk again. We didn't get up that day either. You know, and that, day, that night it snowed on us. And so already, you know, it just you got to be on the right path. You know, or it doesn't matter how successful you are. And it's never too late to change. Paul was on a fast road to the top. In fact, he says in Galatians, You have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond all my peers. Everybody knew me. You know, I was the up-and-comer. And then he realized he was on the wrong path. Mere success in your life. And some of you are successful, but not successful in the right things. Not successful in the things that you know God wants you to do. Yeah, and, and I'm not talking about uh, being a pastor. I'm not talking about being a 
Christian leader. I'm just talking about using your success for things that are godly or doing them in godly ways. It's never too late to change. In fact, in those presentations that I did with the leaders the other night, I was talking about Hiram Smith, who was the founder of the Franklin planning system that was bought by Steve Covey, became the Covey um, Franklin Systems. Uh, Hiram Smith, who brought Ben Franklin's ideas of intentional life forward, uh, says in his book, The Ten Natural Laws of Successful Time and Life Management, he says, the trouble with most management instruction that you receive in the world is that it focuses only on getting things done more efficiently. No one ever takes the time to urge you to ask yourself, so why am I doing this? Or should I really be doing this? Or is this what I really want to do? And unless you are consistently making the opportunity to accomplish things that are important and meaningful to you that line up with your values, just being better organized will only fill up your time and make you more frustrated. You'll just get more of the wrong stuff done, which will only increase your frustration. So you got to ask yourself, you know, is my ladder leaning against the right wall? You know, am I on the right path? Paul was not. Even just because he was having success doesn't mean you're on the right path. Point number two, it's never too late to be who you might have been. It's never too late to be who you might have been. You know why? Because God cares more about your character than your accomplishments. You say, well, I don't have as much time to accomplish things anymore. God doesn't care about what you accomplish. He cares about your character. God cares more about your influence than he does your affluence. It's never too late to be who you might have been. In a book called John Halifax Gentleman, George Eliot, at the end of the 1800s, wrote a book about a man who was trying to teach a nobleman uh, the course of life as a Christian. And the conversation that he records there includes this phrase. He says to the aristocrat, Do you recognize what you were born to be? Not just a nobleman, but a gentleman. And not just a gentleman, but a man. A man made in the image of God. How can you, how dare you, live a lie to your creator? To which the nobleman says, What has God ever given me? And what should I thank him for? To which John Halifax says, First, manhood. The manhood his son did not disdain to wear. Worldly gifts, your rank, your riches, your influence things which others would give half their life to have. Life in its best prime, with more youth yet remaining, with grief endured, wisdom learned, experience won. Would to heaven that by any word from me I could make you feel all that you might be. To which the nobleman replied, You mean, Mr. Halifax, what I might have been, but now it's too late? You know, if you're thinking that as you sit there today, is it too late? To which Mr. Halifax replied, There is no such thing as too late in the wide world, nay, not in the universe. What? Shall we, whose atom of time is but a fragment out of all eternity, shall we, so long as we live, even at our life's end, dare to cry out to the eternal one, it's too late? It's never too late. You know, if you're headed in the wrong path, one more step won't get you to your goal. 
God is more interested in your character than your accomplishments, your influence, not your affluence. Paul had no regrets for making this change in course, even though he lost all respect, notoriety, and became an enemy of those that he used to admire. He said at the end of his life in his last will and testament, 2 Timothy chapter 4, I am being poured out like a drink offering. He was about to be martyred. He said, the time for my departure is near. Any regrets, Paul? He said, no. I have fought the good fight. I have finished my race. I have kept the faith. And I know now there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, my righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not only to me, but all who have loved his appearing. You as well. You talk about value. Wow. What does the sacrifice of Jesus have to say about the value that God places in you? I mean, Jesus came to earth and he taught us many things. In fact, in our Lenten services on Wednesday night, we're talking about these lessons that he uh, teaches as he walks towards the cross. It's called Journey Interrupted. And there are many lessons and there's much truth that's valuable for life by just studying his life and his teaching. But he didn't come just to make us wise. He came to make us holy. He came to redeem us. He came to give us confidence that because we are forgiven, we know our prayers are heard in heaven now. I am God's child now. There's nothing that stands between me and him. And I'm making a difference in eternity now. And when this life is over, I'll have all eternity waiting for me. And there is laid up for me, Paul said, now a crown of righteousness. No regrets at all. My uh, third point is don't expect the world to applaud these values. You know, remember, this is not a majority opinion. The Christian faith is not a majority opinion. The Bible says the way is narrow and few are they that find it that leads to eternal life. But the way is broad and most of the world is following it that leads to eternal death. Dave Ramsey says this about, you know, getting it right financially. When you follow God's plan in your life, the whole world is not following God's plan in their life. The whole world is pretty much out of order. Except for Congress, they got it right, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. We spend three times as much as we take in. I, I don't know. Should you go back to recess? You should go back to first grade? I mean, this is wrong-headed. And yet, they're a reflection of our values. You know, the nation is only reflecting uh, the wrong values of the people. But we don't have to have those values. And Ramsey says this about, you know, walking God's way, despite the popular opinion that you should spend as much as you can get credit for he says, you must walk to the beat of a different drummer. The same beat that the wealthy have discovered. The goal is not to be normal. Because as my radio listeners know, normal is broke. Don't take financial advice from broke people. All of your friends. He says, the average millionaire can't tell you who got thrown off the island last night. You know, they're busy doing other things. You know, they're not involved in the popular culture. You know, so don't expect the world to applaud you if you begin to take God's values seriously in your life. What are those values? Well, the best things in life are not things, are they? I mean, it, it's trite, it, but it, it, it's something we ought to repeat often. The best things in life are not things. The best things in life are not things. Paul says, in fact, in Ephesians chapter 4, just the Further on in this same book, he says, finally, 
Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good reputation, whatever is excellent, worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things, the things you have learned and received and heard and seen me practice. And this will bring you peace. Not what you can acquire, not what you can achieve, but God's will. It's interesting to me that when we used to take young people down to uh, Juarez and build homes before it became so dangerous to go to Mexico, and even now when we go down to Belize or when we go to Cambodia, uh, the people that go with us on these mission trips all expect that they will be uh, sympathetically moved and, and, and struggle to observe um, you know, people with nothing, that that will be the biggest challenge uh, to their experience. But when they get there, they find out that these people who have nothing actually have as much joy in life, sometimes more joy in life than the people who have so much here in West County. I'll never forget an essay that was written by a teenage girl who came back from one of our trips to Juarez. And she said, I went down there expecting to feel sorry for the Mexican kids. I came back feeling sorry for the West County kids who didn't understand that, you know, the best things in life are not things. I remember my uh, oldest son uh, once gave a, a, a poster to his girlfriend at the time, not the woman he married. Thank God for that. You know. <laughs> he married better. <laughs> he gave her a poster called uh, 100 Natural Highs. And this poster was all about the things that you can enjoy in life that are uh, wonderful blessings that don't cost you anything. Things like falling in love, laughing so hard you cry, a walk in the woods, a starry night, a beautiful sunrise, a beautiful sunset, an unexpected phone call, a handwritten note, listening to the rain from a warm bed, or hearing the snowplow from a warm bed, a hug from a good friend, being part of a successful effort, hearing a great old song. I heard someone say the other day, you know, are they, are they just playing better music in the supermarket or am I getting old? You know, I think you're getting old. <laughs> Winning a close game, a baby's smile, a good book next to a warm fire, a nice swim on a hot day, a concert in the park, and on and on and on. The best things in life, man. I just love this, that God made it possible for the best things in life to be enjoyed no matter what your circumstance. Really. No matter what your physical capabilities, no matter what your age, no matter what your uh, nationality, no matter what your uh, gender, no matter what your affluence, the best things in life, God has made it possible for all of us to appreciate and to enjoy. Last week's challenge is uh, Pastor Peterson laid it out before me and Pastor Dion laid it out for the, uh, uh, the warehouse group and the 11 o'clock service was to uh, uh, live two weeks with, without any additional discretionary spending, although he didn't say discretionary in my, uh, he just said don't spend anything. But discretionary spending is what they meant. And, and, and some have enjoyed that challenge just to kind of get a grip on how much of that there is in life, you know, just to be aware of it. Here's a, a note that was posted uh, by somebody uh, elsewhere, and we asked for permission if we could share it. It's from a lady who, who took up the challenge for her family. Our preaching staff began a series entitled Consumed. Each message within the series includes a challenge. This past Sunday's challenge was a doozy. We were challenged to stop spending no new stuff for two weeks. After a quick perusal of my mental calendar, I realized that three of our six birthdays in our family fell within the next two weeks. And we were hosting two dinners at our home next weekend. P. 
panic. I sat there for a moment in shock, but after doing a mental checklist of our pantry and freezer, I decided this challenge would be good for me. I could do this. I like a challenge. Furthermore, this could potentially be a learning experience for my children, and it has been. Josiah's birthday was yesterday. His gift had been purchased a few weeks ago. <laughs> but instead of birthday cupcakes at school, he'll take popsicles from the deep freeze and then see what God did. He sent snow. He didn't even have to take those. There were just enough for his class. For his birthday dinner, he chose homemade BLTs instead of a favorite restaurant. He never once complained about the changes made to his birthday plan. He seemed to like the change. The person who seemed most affected by this two-week sacrifice was my husband. His birthday is this week. And unlike my son's gift, I had not purchased his gift early. But I'm encouraging him to see this as a spending diet, a consumerism cleanse, to see this as a healthy form of discipline and not a works of righteousness. He's coming around. Even though it has been an adjustment, there's been an equal blessing. When I take the focus off the, simple form, the simplest forms of consumerism, even grocery buying, I see the wealth that I already have in my home. You don't realize how much a hold commercialism has on you until you are challenged to look at it. When the drive to consume is held at bay, there is instantly room for contentment and even thanksgiving. Pretty cool, huh? So we want to add a little bit of a wrinkle to that challenge. You know, no new discretionary spending for two weeks. This would be our second week. Uh, I want to add a positive to that. And, that. and that's this week. Find something to do that's fun for free. For free. You could go sledding. You could come and shovel the, drive, the, the sidewalk along my house. You could do that. We'll bring hot cocoa up. You could have a game night. You could take a walk, a winter walk in Babbler Park. It's going to be in the 30s all week. The snow's going nowhere. You could write note cards. Just don't mail them for another week. You could gather up old toys or old coats or whatever and take them to Goodwill or some charity uh, resell it store. You could have a hot dog roast outside. Your kids would love that. You could go down and watch the Eagles at Alton. You could crash a wedding. <laughs> Just saying, you know, be creative. Paul knew that he was on this journey, and, and it wasn't just the destination that satisfied him. It was also the change in values as he walked the journey. In fact, the Bible tells us that in heaven, there are people who died for their faith who have no regret. The only thing they're eager to do is to prove that those who were called foolish were really wise. And those who were wise in the way the world determines wisdom were actually foolish. From Revelation 6, it says, and then he broke the fifth seal, and I saw underneath it the altar of the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God, the martyrs, because of their testimony, which they maintained even to death. And they cried out with a loud voice, How long, O Lord, how long, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and proving our wisdom to those who dwell upon the earth? And there was given to each of them a white robe, and they were told that they should wait just a while longer until the number of their fellow martyrs was accomplished, and those who would die for the faith would be completed. You know, someday we will realize who was smart and who was not so smart. In the meanwhile, Paul was enjoying the journey. He said, I don't regard myself as having laid hold of the prize yet, but this is what I'm doing, forgetting what lies behind, not being troubled by mistakes that I've made. Amen? Amen. 
I press on toward what lies ahead, towards my new life each day. I press on towards the goal, the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, the ultimate victory. Amen. Let me pray. Lord, help uh, your values to become our values. It looks like sacrifice. It's a mirage. In fact, it's the most satisfying way to live. Help us to uh, realize the, the value of things that are not things, the value of relationships, the value of encouragement, the beauty that's in the world, the privilege of enjoying, regardless of our financial circumstances, the best things in life. Help us to be more aware of those things and to uh, be more uh, generous in our thanksgiving to you for all the things that you have done especially as the salvation and the access to your throne of grace so dearly won by Jesus Christ our Lord. Lord, keep us in this faith and let our influence spread. Let our number be multiplied. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.